The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. We're going to be in Romans 9. You can uh, turn there to begin, Romans chapter 9. And you know the subject, we've been on the subject of basically righteousness and condemnation um, for a little while now. And, you know, righteousness is really the heart of the gospel. It's, it's as foundational as you can get. And so it's important that you get the foundation right, you know. And so uh, righteousness is big to say the least. And again, as we've mentioned many times, and it's just always good to be reminded, I suppose, uh, righteousness, which is basically, or it is, it's used interchangeably with the word justice, justified, you know, it's the same thing. Um, but in the Greek, righteousness literally means, thank you, Orlin, thanks everyone, means to be in a condition that is acceptable to God, or to be what you ought to be. And that's really the hole in humanity's heart. You know, I think all of us have that itch, that nothing seems to scratch. And throughout life, we'll look for something to bring fulfillment. There are things in life that are s- supposed to give a certain level of fulfillment. Uh, family, love, you know, uh, working and, and the pride of, you know, being a good worker and uh, any number of issues like that are supposed, you know, things that maybe you're a hunter. And, you know, if you read the book of Exodus and you see how the Lord would tell Moses, put so-and-so over this part to dye the fabrics, put so-and-so over the wood, and so-and-so, you know, the gold over the wood, all these different things. And, and the Lord would say repeatedly, because I put that spirit within them. You know, and so people are, are called and anointed to serve and do certain things. And probably helpful to remember that on days you're sitting at your job wishing you were sitting on a beach or another job. <laughs> you know, but being a, a faithful, um, well, just being faithful you know, is good, <laughs> you know, uh, it'll, it'll cause a lot of things to work out better for you, you know. Um, but that hole that I think's in, you know, for me, I looked for it in drugs and that life. And I remember the, the night that I got saved, that I came to faith, you know, November 11, 2004, in rehab, laying there. I was basking in the Lord's presence there for, I don't know how long exactly. And then, but it, I, I had the thought like, oh, this is what I've been looking for all this time. It was, it was the Lord. And so, because, you know, you, you, you can, it's easy to think, you know, some of these goofy things like, well, that's boring. You know, church, church stuff is boring. I'll serve God when I'm old enough to be scared of dying. You know, just kind of one of those thoughts. And it's just not true. It's just a lie of the enemy because life is in Jesus and there's no life outside of him. And so... There's no peace that passes understanding outside of Jesus. There's no joy unspeakable, inexpressible, beyond description, you know, full of glory outside of Him. You know, just knowing, just knowing that your sins are forgiven. Oh, man, you're talking about sleep. It certainly won't keep you up at night. You know, I don't know how you sleep, but if that's a good thing, you know, just going to sleep at night, knowing beyond any doubt that I am forgiven. It's not a question. It's not, it's not up to how I feel at any particular moment or my most recent performance. God shed His own blood for sinful people. So, He must think that His blood's more powerful than our sin. 
but because we feel the effects of our sin in, in, in any number of ways, you, you can feel so strongly somehow that there's something between me and God. And I think that's, that goes back to Satan's original temptation, you know. God's holding out on you. Eat from this tree. Then you'll really be like God. When they were already like God, you know, created in His image, His likeness. And so Satan is ever wanting us to think that we don't have, you know, Andrew, we may have it out there. I'm not sure we used to. Maybe not, but we used to have it. Uh, Andrew Womack has a book called You've Already Got It, right? And so much of uh, charismaticdom, if you will, is about trying to get God to move, trying to move the hand of God, trying to get the blessings from God, and all this type of stuff, and it negates, it just denies the finished work of Jesus and the cross and what He's accomplished. And so, it's important to realize, I remember a year or two ago teaching on healing, and I presented um, one Sunday that the scriptural premise is not God can heal, God will heal, so go to Him and get Him to heal you. The scriptural premise is we're already healed, and we approach it from that vantage point. Does that make sense? And I remember Jim Byrne telling me that he was uh, very, wow, never heard that, never thought of that, you know. And so that, it's, uh, that stuck with me. That, like I, I heard Brother Hagin say a lot of times, a lot of times, well, he said the Lord told him um, that talking to Brother Hagin, he said the Lord told him, you, you, you teach a lot from where you are. You got to teach where the people are, you know, and that's what he told him. And so it's easy to think like, oh, well, everybody knows that or everybody knows this or da, 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 da. But I just think of myself. I got to preach the gospel to myself day in and day out. I have to renew my mind continually by whose stripes I was healed. And I never approach it. I don't give a rip, man, if Billy Graham, the Pope, Mother Teresa, Brother H I don't care who. Nobody's ever going to get me to, to agree that, well, God will heal you. No, God has healed us. And so when, I'm, so when we lay hands on the sick, it's not to move God. It's to help whoever, ourselves, you know, lay hands on the sick, anoint with oil, communion, gifts of the Spirit, whatever form the, the administration of it looks like. It's always from the vantage point of, you know, my dad. I, re I remember my dad telling me early on, and, and it's just always stuck with me shortly after I was saved, you know. And we've all probably heard stuff like this. We are not the sick trying to get healed. We are the healed. And sometimes we have to resist sickness. But it's always from a finished work perspective. Does that make sense? And so we want to understand. And all this is part and parcel at the very core foundation of understanding righteousness. And it's got to be important because Jesus, the only thing Jesus explicitly said in John 16 that the Holy Spirit would convince believers of was righteousness, not unrighteousness. He'll convict you of that because if because everything comes through that. Paul said in Romans 5, the grace of God reigns, R-E-I-G-N, reigns through righteousness. So if I want God's grace to work profoundly, I have to be established in the new covenant gift of righteousness. Amen? And as Brother Hagin also said, 
in the New Testament, the word righteous, righteousness, justified, all of that, it's always a past tense, full-blown, 100% reality. You cannot grow in righteousness. You can grow in the revelation of your righteousness, and hopefully we all are, you know. We can grow in understanding, like Ephesians 1, Paul's prayer, that God would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, open the eyes of our understanding, and show us our inheritance in Christ. He didn't say, God will give you more power, more anointing, more, 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 more. He said, God give you more revelation of what you already have, right? And again, though, but so much of our renowned, charismatic, you know, movements and prayer movements and any number of things, it's always about trying to get God to do something when God has done something and He's given us authority, right? We pray as if God hasn't given us authority all too often. And we want to realize that He's given us His authority. Am I getting anywhere today? Okay. Uh, I told you Romans 9, correct? Okay, good. Now, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be near the end of the chapter around 30. You guys and gals ready for uh, Frozen Hell? Michigan's winter. I call it Frozen Hell. I love me some fall. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, Romans chapter 9, and then we will start. Let's do verse 20. Let's start in verse 20. Romans 9, verse 27. Is this on behind me? Okay, because this thing's so terrible. I just. All right. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Quote, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. Now, this is obvious, you know, first century relevance here, not a future uh, end of time thing. What, what happened in the first century? A good portion of the Jewish people and the, and the Jewish religious system rejected and killed their own Messiah, Right? And then they rejected the gospel message so much that they stuck to the temple system, which killed over a million of them in 70 AD, resulted in their death. But obviously a remnant was saved. What, were Peter, what was Peter? Paul? I mean, read the book of Acts. Jews, just, just the day of Pentecost alone, 3,000 you know, people. And, and there was a clearly a remnant, right, uh, that came to faith. It says, For the Lord will execute His word on the earth, Thoroughly and quickly, just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. So there was a remnant saved. Um, first, but here's the point. Look at verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, a bunch of swine-eating, bacon-wrapped, shrimp sorry Gentiles, now, notice this. This is incredible. Who did not pursue righteousness. So, the Gentiles who did not pursue right standing with God, they attained right. Even, verse 30, the righteousness which is what? By faith. But Israel, verse, sorry, verse 31. But Israel pursued the law of righteousness, but did not arrive at that law. Verse 32. Why? Because they did not pursue it 
by faith, but as though it but as though it were by works. Now look at uh, what it what he goes on to say say here. Very interesting. He says they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Behold, just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be ashamed, put to shame, disappointed, etc. Now, again, now verse 33 there. Um, notice where it says the rock of offense, right? Uh, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, the word offense there is the Greek word scandalon. And that's where we get the word, what do you think? Scandal. So, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of scandal, if you will. That's what it, that's what it is in the Greek. And whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So, quite literally, Jesus and his good news is a scandal. scandalously good news, you know. As it's been called, the nearly too good to be true news. And the gospel is too good to be true, but it happens to be true. Usually if something's too good to be true, it is too good to be true, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Acts 15, the, the very first official church council, the Jerusalem council, yeah. And um, it was a big deal. Thank God. Yeah. 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 Yes, that was a big deal. And thank God they got it right. Even with, and Peter was so struggling back and forth, you know, with, well, sometimes it's okay to be with the Gentiles. Oh, some of the religious leaders have come. I'll pull out. I don't want them to see me over there with that. Oh, man. It's incredible. Incredible. But that's always the, that, that's the whole, I mean, you read the book of Acts. I mean, you read Paul's message, uh, letters, and just his overall message and ministry. The, Again, here, the rock of offense. The gospel is offensive, you know. It's, it's thoroughly offensive to whatever it is within us, you know, that makes us somehow think we have to, to do something. I mean, think, like, yeah, Law Keepers Anonymous. Hello, my name's Jordan. I'm a recovering Pharisee, you know, one of those deals. I'm a, I'm a uh, hopefully an ex-legalist, you know, whatever, but. Recovering legalism. Um, I mean, you guys think about what could, in, you know, what could we possibly do to contribute? I know this is so simple, but what could we possibly do to contribute to our own salvation? What can I add? God becoming a man, living sinlessly, dying on a cross to create a new covenant of forgiveness, resurrecting ascending to his rightful place of, of kingship at Abba's right hand, taking us there with him because we're seated there, filling us, Ephesians 1 and other places, with the Holy Spirit of promise. And I think that if I have a bad thought 10 seconds before I die, I will spend eternity in hell. Because, yeah, God did all that, but I had a bad thought. It's up to me, you know. And it's ingrained in us. I mean, it, it's just, it took Israel 
they left Egypt. You guys have heard, the, you know, these type of sayings. You can take the whatever. You, you know, you can, uh, you can take the Tarzan out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of Tarzan. You know, you can take the whoever out of the whatever, but not the whatever out of the whoever. You know, one of those deals. Uh, Israel got out of Egypt long before Egypt got out of them. You know what I mean? And faulty ways of thinking and, and, and those types of things. Same thing in the New Covenant, Exodus. The 40-year transition out of the law from the time of the cross to the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, there was an exodus. And it took time, you know, to get it right. But nonetheless, the problem is this. We, you know, we kind of think that, you know, I came to Jesus, you know, and everything on my whiteboard behind me got erased. But now that I'm saved, all that, I get to mark it up again. Or I got my sin bucket, and it's got my lifetime of sin in it. And I got saved. So Jesus emptied out my bucket, but I get to fill it up again. Like we think we're still the sin creation. We think it's more of what I do instead of who I am. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, again here... I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, a rock of scandal. And so I think of Jesus, you know, any number of issues. But like in Luke chapter 5, when they let the man down through the roof, and Jesus, first thing he says, Sir, your sins are forgiven you. That was a scandal on. That was a scandal. That was offensive. They said, who can forgive sins except God alone? Bingo. <laughs> That's who you're dealing with there. You know, you got it. Um, but it was the point is, it was offensive. And so if you maybe keep an eye out for this, like the next time you read through the book of Acts or, or really any of Paul's works, but it wasn't really that Paul said the Messiah has come. That was problematic, but not for everybody. A lot of people could handle that, especially when miracles and signs and healings and things like that would confirm their message, you know, all that kind of stuff. The problem that was so offensive that gave so much opposition to Paul in his ministry over and over and over and over. Basically, the, the 2 Corinthians 12, when he said Satan sent a messenger to buffet him, he just told you what it was. It was everywhere he went. It was revival and riots. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, there was always an uproar where, where Paul came around. Uh, but the, the message that was so offensive was not just Jesus is the Messiah, but it was justification by faith without the works of the law. And that's what people couldn't handle. And that's what people today can't handle very often, you know. Um, it, it really gets, it's very simple. We, we think what I do determines everything. But if Jesus didn't just deal, when we talk about being forgiven, your sin being dealt with, you know, that type of stuff. It's not just Jesus, you know, erases the bad actions. It's that he changed your very nature. He changes who you literally are. So I am not that sin creation that I once was. Romans chapter 6, Paul says the old man, we call it the sin nature, the old creation, any number of phrases for it. Paul said the old man is dead. Not, it died, so bless God, you got to keep it dead and you got to work. No, it's dead. You keep killing it. 
beat a dead horse, you know, shadow boxing, you know, fighting a defeated foe. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, uh, let's let's continue here in Romans 10. I got a quite a bit of stuff I want to look at that I know I, we're not going to be able to, but let's just keep reading here in Romans. Verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, Israel, is their salvation. Now notice this. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Boy, I've been there. Verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. Hello, modern church, in a lot of ways, you know. Been there, got the t-shirt, God help. Not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves or submit themselves to the righteousness of God. Look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So there is no law or keeping of rules that I can do to produce or add to or whatever righteousness. You got to submit to it. Now that word end, Christ is the end of the law. That's the Greek word telos. And it, it means the termination point or the, the point at which a thing ceases to be. So it's the utter termination, dead, gone, all right? Christ is the end of the law, verse, verse 4 there, to everyone who believes. In other words, Jew and Gentile. Verse 5, for Moses writes that the man who practices or does the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness, that system, the works system. Look at verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. And then he quotes here from Deuteronomy. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? And you just read over this and it's like, what's he talking about? Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring the Messiah, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, there's nothing else he could possibly do to give you righteousness. He's already left heaven. He already went, descended into Hades. He's already lived, died, resurrected, ascended. It's not even possible for God. God could not do anything to give us righteousness more than what he already has. It's not possible, right? Uh, what are we on here? Verse, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is, this is from Deuteronomy. The word is near you. Where is it, Paul? Where is it, Deuteronomy? In your mouth and in your heart. That is the message of faith. The word, the message of faith, which we are preaching. That if you, now notice this, don't miss this. Don't, don't let familiarity with these common verses, you know, cause us to miss this. Verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be sozoed, saved. Verse 10, for with the heart a person believes, 
resulting in righteousness. Notice that. With the heart you believe, resulting in righteousness. What did God tell Abraham? Genesis, or, you know, it's all through the Scriptures, but it starts in Genesis 15.6 where it says, God, Abraham believed God, and what did God do? Credit to him or account it to him, what? As righteousness. So it's always been based on faith. Um, and, he, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So Paul is, all right, Paul, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. Send us the rules, man. Moses gave them 613 covenantal rules for, for their justification. Paul, send us what we got to do. Tell us, man, we got to be firmly established. Come on now. And they're probably, you know, 613 laws is a lot. You know, holy moly. So Paul sends this to him here. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. You're saved. Oh man, the other rules must have got lost in the mail somewhere. I don't did you honey, you sure you brought all the mail in? What happened here? Where's what where's this can't be all there is to it? You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians that Satan works to remove us from what? The simplicity of Christ. You know? Very, very complicated. Yeah. The more complicated, the better. Let's look at, uh, let's look at Philippians chapter. And, um, we'll start in verse. Paul says, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Because Paul wrote, the, you know, we're probably some of us are familiar with um, where Paul was at when he wrote this letter. You, you should Google that, man. It was not a good place at all. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, same thing to you again, is not a trouble uh, to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. He says, "Beware of the evil workers," and he's telling you who the the false circumcision. These were not people running around with sleeping with 12 seconds, we're religious, we're so, we're so, our perception so deluded. The church has taught us to, the evil work. beware of the dogs, nice flowery sermon there, beware of the evil workers, the false circumcision. Anyways, verse 3, we are the true circumcision. Who is that, Paul? We who worship in the Spirit of God and in the glory of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 3, the end, the last part there. He says, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that crazy? Most, so much preaching is how to put, a, you know, deal how to pretty up the flesh, how to kill the false. In a particular descendant of Abraham, a natural Jewish lineage, Paul says we don't put any confidence in that. But as he goes on to explain here, none of our religious credentials is what he's getting at, you know. So we put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Why is that, Paul? Verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, I was so zealous I persecuted the church. 
as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. I, I kept it as good as anyone possibly could. But what things were gained to me... Now, what's he talking about here? What, what are the things? Somebody tell me. The things that were gained to his advantage, he's saying. What are those? All the above. All that, basically, the stuff he just listed. Being a Pharisee. Being a cream of the crop. Trained by Gamaliel. Which, if you look him up, he was a... Um, he was as profound a religious figure as there was, basically. He was, he was the guy, and that's who Paul trained them. But all those things that were gained to me, Paul says, those things I have counted as loss. Yeah, rubbish. Scubula in Greek, rubbish. What things were gained to me, those things I count, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And that word loss or uh, that's what's the King James say? Verse seven. Oh, it does say lost. Okay. Oh, I got you. Okay. They're lost. They're not just. In other words, they they actually produce loss in your life. In other, I know how to say it right. It's not just take it or leave it. No, it'll. It's actually working against you. It's not neutral. It's not. No, your religious credentials, Paul. Your law keeping isn't just, no, it's actually against you. It, you know, I don't know how to say it more. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, verse, uh, verse 8 here. Uh, lost for the sake of Christ, verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That is all. Notice it's personal there. He doesn't say for the surpassing value of Christianity or for being a good Christian, for it's for a person. The way I say it sometimes is we ultimately live for an audience of one. Jesus, right? And so, uh, to know Christ. Now notice this, for whom? Oh, again, it's, it's personal. It's relationship. Not for what I've suffered, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. King James translates it rather well, dung. And it's the Greek word scubala, which was the, the profane word for dung. It was the common word, in other words. So Paul was being kind of blunt. That I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him. Now look at this. Not having a right standing with God that is derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, not from ourselves in our own efforts, it comes from God. Seek the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and what? Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not our own. Romans 9, we read it there. Israel did not attain to righteousness because they sought it as by the works of the law. But the Gentiles, who weren't even looking for it, it smacked them upside the head one day in the form of the hearing, hearing the gospel. Faith came, believed, confessed, boom. You know, they sought it by faith. Or they didn't even really seek it, but when it came, they accepted it by faith. Uh, verse, verse 10, that I may know Him. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. 
Beautiful. In order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Um, yeah, let's keep reading here. These are good. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained, obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of in Christ. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having attained or as having laid hold of it. I love that. Because here's Paul saying, hey, I've not arrived yet. Aren't you, doesn't it make you happy sometimes when you find out somebody's as messed up as you are? Isn't that just delightful? <laughs> There's a little comfort in there. I don't, you don't go looking for it, you know. That misery loves company and you're seeking it out. Just when it happens, you just lift your hands and thank God other people are jacked up too, you know. Hallelujah. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the high call, the upward call of God in Christ. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.